I don't stop to smell the roses. I, I smell the roses as I go. You know, everywhere I go, it's I find the roses in wherever I am. You know, I smell it. I take it all in, bask in it, and then I. Welcome to Third Culture Africans, the lifestyle podcast for dreamers, thinkers, and doers. We celebrate artistry, share stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed, listen to diverse perspectives on African success, and those shifting the needle on culture. I'm Zezo Sal, your host. On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, my guest is Ernest Dendrema the founder of the Dender Group and one of the faces behind Face Africa. He's not afraid to take up a seat at the table, a translator of our culture, modest, a noisemaker for what matters, a patriot for the continent, a strategist and someone who lives in the present. I hope you find this episode refreshing as I did, sitting and talking with Dendrema, especially in the time that we are living in now. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, Ernest. Do you prefer Ernest or Danjuma? Either, either works for me. I'm not necessarily particular. The story of how I got from Ernest to Danjuma is quite complicated in and of itself, but either works. Okay. I always have a part in the show where I delve into the guest names. So oh, okay. I feel like culturally for us, our names matter and especially moving into alternate worlds, uh, being first world countries. We've all seen, I guess, our names evolve into many versions of unexplainable names that you don't even know how people arrive at that name and you're like hmm interesting (laughs) Uh, for me it's the long pause once there's a long pause I'm like yeah that's me I just get up Um, because (laughs) okay We always delve into the names, but looking at your bio, I've written down storyteller, engineer, entrepreneur, project manager, writer, business strategist. Oh, well, interview over. Um, (laughs) Is that accurate? uh, Yeah. I guess concurrently, you wear all of those hats presently now, and I think it will be interesting to, I guess, dive deeper into your mind and to understand how you're able to navigate all of those things. And I guess you can, in your words, you're the founder of Dender Group, which is a brand design and growth strategy business. But unlike every other brand design and growth strategy business, you are passionate and focused on African-owned and startups and non-profit businesses. And alongside that, you work in the corporate world. That is correct. So you're my first doing guest that is effectively nine to five, five to nining. And it'll be interesting to to hear how you do that too. I guess you can share the inspiration behind Denda Group. So Denda, which... Does it have a meaning, the name Denda? It does actually. It comes from the word addenda, which is, uh, I guess, a plural for the word addendum, which in, in itself is sort of this added on to you know a book a project and that's kind of how we see ourselves mm-hmm. which is you know you have you have your idea you have your business you're thinking up you know what you need to do you are the master of whatever business it is that you do and we come in to kind of shore up for lack of a better word all the other components that you need to actually run your business so you can focus on 
on your trade, on your skill. You know, if you're an artist, you are forced to become a businessman, an accountant, you know, a marketer, uh, you know, all these different things. And for us, we see ourselves as almost a project manager. So sort of coming in Mm -hmm. and creating the entire structure around you to help you focus on what it is that you do. But also we help to sort of amplify what it is that you do. So, um, So we're an added on component to any business and so that's kind of how you know an addenda if you will that's kind of where that came from fabulous i forgot one thing i wrote humanitarian humanitarian I, you know i have my quips with that phrase and with the various sort of ways that we phrase you know what that really means you know i'm not going to get into the semantics of it if we have time and if that's of any interest you know we'll dive into kind of that world for sure i think we will as a result of how you write and some of the work you do i think it's not a part of your journey Mm -hmm. or your story that we can choose not to talk about this podcast is sponsored by malay natural science malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes alluring scents and ancient wisdom of africa Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide, and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. To read off some of your accolades. I shouldn't. (laughs) No, please. I want to hear it. Well, number one, I think at every major African event in the last decade, you've been present. <laughs> that is absolutely factual. Anywhere in the world. <laughs> Anywhere. I, I, I think you are present. And I guess if, if whether it's the World Economic Forum to Social Media Week to anything based around leadership or policy or politics or cultural change, whether it's creative, whether it's the arts, you have always found a way to make time to be present, but also to storytell alongside your presence to amplify that experience on social media and in your writing, whether that's on Medium or any of the things that you do, whether that's writing for The Guardian, Nigeria, etc. But is that always something that has been conscious for you? Did you wake up one day going, hey, you know what, I need to be present at all these change-making events or... It just kind of has evolved. This is the first time that I'm actually having an intelligent sort of conversation around this. I think most people kind of... Is that a compliment? Well, I'll tell you why this is... I guess it is a compliment in some ways because... Yay, third culture Africans! (laughs) And I'll tell you why. It's because most times what people say to me is, ah, this one, you're everywhere, blah, 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 oh, you're mixy, you're always in the mix, almost in a derogatory way. And you can see that, right? It's like, ah, who's this one? Everywhere, any picture is just in the background, anywhere, anywhere in the world. But the way you put it, I guess that's what storytelling is, right? You can turn anything and, you know, give brilliance to it. For me, it's twofold, right? There is the aspect of, which is what people are everywhere, because I like to do. I like to be in places. I, you know, I love the fun and the engaging part of it. I get to learn. I get my energy. I get my life out of being in different places, meeting different people. There is that aspect of it. There is the aspect of the mixiness, right? There is, which could be a bad thing and a good thing. Um, I've learned to kind of turn the 
negative of it to sort of some positivity. And I've brought along, you know, a lot of my, my critics, as you will, along the way, which is, you know, there's a saying, if you're not on the table, you're on the menu. And yeah. so for me, it's always been important to kind of be there. One, because these are the places where the decisions that affect all of us are made. And so if I'm not there, if I'm not close to the action, there are people who believe that they belong in these places with all, you know, I go to the Harvard Africa Business Conference. Those people aren't, you know, they're thinking, uh, you know, we're just making policy for the people in this room. No, they're speaking as if they are the voice of the entire continent of a billion people with that authority. And I need to be there to one, listen to those who in fact speak for a majority of us and what we do or what we are, but also to keep them honest, you know, make sure that these conversations aren't leaving out, you know, because you got a bunch of people in Davos flying with, you know, there with their private jets talking about the environment and how we need to do more and all these different things. So a lot of these things are happening. And, and for me, it's important that I'm there. I give voice to people that I believe are the voiceless. I bring my own sort of telling the stories, you know, in my own unique sort of humorous, you know, lighthearted, easy mm -hmm. to consume way, I'm able to dumb down what these brilliant minds, they're not able to speak in the language, in the tone, in the voice, in the character that the regular person can care about. You know what I mean? So for me, I've always found it my job to kind of be a translator of these complicated things and make them easy to understand and easy to sort of consume. I hope that kind of explains it. I don't know that it does. I think in some instances, networking in our community especially has two sides to it. As you said, there's the critical part of the networking of people going, hey, there's a bunch of faffers and time wasters there. That guy's not even the guy. There's that perspective, but there's also the perspective which you've just shared, which is, hey, if you want to be counted and if you want to be relevant, if that's where the action's happening, why not be present? Why not go in and create the access to find a way to spread more further your message? I think there's always this idea that, you know, it must be pain, suffering and miserable when you work in certain capacities. Correct. And what's refreshing about how you do what you do is that actually you're showing a different side, which is, hey, this can be fun. This exactly. can be achieved in a way that doesn't require you to be toiling and be an unsung hero. Correct. You can actually, from this experience, Experience grow at different points. You mentioned something which was about translating. Your LinkedIn profile says chief estimator. <laughs> I think it speaks a lot to your storytelling. And this episode, hopefully for a lot of people, would give them, in a time like now, I'm hoping that your story would be refreshing and give people the solace and comfort in defining for themselves their path as you have comfortably so and I'm sure it's not without its challenges which you know I'm sure you'll be candid about but to be a chief estimator I think is quite exciting <laughs> yeah as a choice of words right like, you know. <laughs> well that is a, you know an interesting twist because that's that's actually my corporate title right my job is necessarily to read off building plans and estimate mm -hmm. how much it's actually going to cost. 
So in a way, it's still translating, right? So I'm translating drawings into dollars, right? Into And then I'm the bridge between the design engineers and the building and the guys who are actually interpreting that, you know, onto the field. And in a weird, twisted way, that is the journey of my life, right? Which is kind of, I'm at this intersection of translating different components that should be working in tandem, but there is a bridge. There's a gap, shall we say. And that gap needs to be translated effectively and if i do my job well everything goes on seamlessly and people can even forget that i exist i know it seems like i'm always you know i I love the attention but in a weird way i exist to kind of make sure that the people who need to be heard and who don't like being heard and seen i didn't get the need for popularity or recognition in your work. I didn't get that. So it's interesting that that's something you've brought up. So it'll be interesting to delve more into that. But in terms of, I guess, we are speaking because I guess I know I've done my work in terms of the episode. But for anyone who doesn't know you that well, you have Dender Group. But at the same time, you started off with a mechanical engineering degree. So by profession, you're an engineer. And alongside different stints, whether that's being a career entrepreneur or alongside, you work and have worked in the construction industry in the US. That's correct. And you've worked on some very interesting accounts that have also been culture changing. Like we work and being in a creative or strategic place around the assets of you know construction in the buildings but then there's this whole other side of you which is policy politics humanitarian (laughs) right (laughs) essentially there are very few things and also i guess the writer and the storytelling part you have a way with words that the average person perhaps doesn't have the power to wield and through that you're able to talk about a variety of topics especially around our culture as africans i think one of the articles that you wrote that i found quite moving actually was the article around festac on your medium profile do you mind sort of i guess expanding on where the inspiration for that came from because i think it speaks to a time similar to now where in our culture, as it were, as Africans, there was enough change and mobilization to create a cultural renaissance. And I think we're there again now. Do you mind expanding on that? Or So the FESTAC, and for those who aren't familiar, FESTAC, Festival of Arts and Culture that brought Black and Africans around the world, actually. So what, what we now know as the African diaspora, and that, that is you know, Africans who have emigrated from the continent willingly through conflict, by coercion, over the arc of history, right? Blacks anywhere in the world have a particular tie to the African continent. And so there was a time in history when, and not too long ago, 40, 50 years ago, when there was enough, as you said, of this sort of understanding that, hey, look, we are not winning. We are constantly, anywhere we find ourselves, being marginalized. We're under attack, right? You know, and they decided, hey, we're going to come together with the help of UNESCO to try to come together, have a conference on the continent, sort of this lighthearted way around, obviously, something that we all love and share and are very, very good at, which is uh, just arts, culture, music. Uh, but there was a lot of critical thinkers there. There was 
was mm. literature, there was, you know, and some of the most brilliant minds, you know, on the continent in our history have been part of this. It started in Senegal with the first president there, uh, I believe his name was Senghor. Nelson Mandela has been part of it. I know people like Stevie Wonder. Some of the brilliant minds over the, the arc of history have been part of it. And so for me, that intersection of Black and Africanness has been something that has, has always been intriguing to me since I moved to the U.S. And just having gone to school in Nigeria and then gone to school in the U.S. and meeting people in both sides uh, and just understanding. And I saw there was this constant butting of heads and this very convenient division of us when we arrived here and how we are portrayed, how African-Americans and you know, the global diaspora is portrayed on TV. You know, I started to wonder how much of the gains that we made back in the 1970s, you know, around that conference still held today. And I realized, you know, we're still under attack. We're still, you know, everywhere. Even as, as coronavirus is showing now here in the U.S., here in New York, which is the epicenter, you're finding again Blacks and Africans and, you know, disproportionately affected by these things because of the systemic structures, you know, that exist. And so for me, bringing those groups together has been a very, very interesting, uh, has been something that I've been very, very passionate about, both in, you know, what you call humanitarian work, which I just Mm. call development work. That's our job. Humanitarian sort of gives me this, like, oh, I'm contributing to humanity in a way it's not. I'm a foot soldier fighting a battle that affects me. It's selfish in it as much as it's selfless. I think that's a, bit, it's a modest way of putting it. I seriously actually really, the story of how I got into that work will make you understand why I'm passionate about it in a, and not in a, I want to give to African, you know, but in a, this affects my actual life. And so if I don't do this work, I'm going to be physically affected by it. So I, I don't know that, you know, if, if I'm feeding my family, I don't think anybody's going to call me a humanitarian. So For a lot of guests on the show, though, I think what's clear is all of our work, and especially what is prevalent, is that mm-hmm. as a result of where we all come from, mm-hmm. our work is beyond just a job or making money and feeding our families. I think there's a clear understanding that that responsibility, however selfish it might begin as, mm-hmm. ends up evolving into... Something that affects a lot of people. That yeah. affects a lot more people. I agree. And to be recognized for some of your social entrepreneurship, New York State and the Senate, mm-hmm. how did that feel? You know... <laughs> <laughs> it was a mixed bag. One, because I'm intricately involved in the organization and I have been from its inception. And mm. so, it, you know, it felt like, you know, we just gathered ourselves and we're giving, you know, we're patting each other in the back, which mm. is important. You know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, it, it did feel nice. It, it, you know, and, and when I took myself out of it, it really, in a very, very visceral way, kind of reaffirmed my belief that if me, I'm just a regular, like, I mean, people, some people see me, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, this guy has done so well and X, Y, Z. I'm literally just a regular nobody. 
right? And and I guess most people are, right? It, you know, initially mm-hmm. they start out that way and kind of they, you know, there's this uphill climb. But you know, from where I came, not very long ago, just in the last um, twenty years now, right? Coming from Kaduna, you mean? From from Kaduna, and, uh, from Lagos. Lagos is the center of you know where things happen in Nigeria. Like most people don't know Kaduna, and for me, yeah. you know, coming from there, going to primary, secondary, university in Kaduna State. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like I, you know, and, you know, from a very, very average middle-class family, coming from there and being able to get to this place where, you know, I had a New York State senator and knowing, you know, this thing. Acknowledging your work. But I think that's what makes the story beautiful. And I think that's where the perception of success for a lot of people, right? And and that benchmark, right? I think in our culture, that perception of success is you now have to be the next oil magnet. Mm. You now have to be controlling gazillions, trillions of dollars. But for me, the show is about people shifting the needle in our culture and less so about those people because I think where we're at now, and I think the stories that need to be documented and told are by and large, a lot of the unsung heroes. And for us to be able to cast the net beyond that perception of success, because I think it's quite crippling and it's quite colonial. We need a diversity of industries to be able to lift our culture into a competitive place in the world globally. where we are now part of conversation in a positive light and seen as a competitor, as opposed to a benefactor. For that to happen, it means the creative, cultural arts, social entrepreneurship, people who have found ways of shifting that conversation and putting forth the beauty of our continent and what we do for me that's a level of success that far outweighs that and and within these industries there is sustainable employment there is sustainable job creation and i think it allows for us to have the skills to evolve beyond a without turning this into a current affairs show a pandemic like covid Because now you're finding people or industries that are crashing overnight, people who are without jobs. And by and large, there's still opportunity, you know, with what you guys do with Face Africa, something as basic as having clean water in a current climate like now. Yes, you're saying this little guy from Kaduna and this, that and the other. But the reality is when we are faced with a situation like now, the work that you do has saved so many more lives than mm. someone who would have probably tarred a road somewhere. Yes, absolutely. Obviously, the work the work we do and the work that I'm, I'm very passionate about, I believe is very, very important. So I'd, I never want to take away from the actual work itself. I also don't never want to exaggerate my importance or my significance to the actual work it's like celebrating the newscaster who uncovered you know some scheme as opposed to kind of dealing with the actual scheme and understanding that so for me i as much as i love you know the excitement and whatnot the work is so much more important and i understand our need to lionize people and so I try as much as I can, particularly because I have this monkey on my back where people are always 
skeptical of why people are doing good, if you will. And so they always, the they're just doing it because they want these accolades. And so for me, I'm particularly conscious of that because I'm not somebody who's just going to fade into the background. I make noise for the things that matter. And that's what I do. Now, people would rather focus on the noisemaker than on the noise that they're making. And so for me, it's always important that when I get that attention, like I am now, I refocus it to the actual work that I'm doing, which was my what I'm particularly focused on to begin with. I'm not trying to play down. Obviously, you want to know what I do. It's nice. It's exciting. If I was in your position interviewing me, I'd want to know about me. What's the mindset? How do you do whatever it is you do? It's also my job to always try to sort of get us back to what's actually important, which is the work that's been done, the work that Face Africa does, for instance, in kind of providing water. Everybody is like, wash your hands. How are you going to wash your hands if there is no water? But what good is washing your hands with creek water that is, you know, contaminated and mixed with, you know? For us, that work has always been very, very important. How we get to everybody getting enough water to be able to wash their hands and drink and cook and flush, you know, a toilet and all that stuff. You know, we want to discuss those things as well. But something like, as you said, a pandemic like COVID, but also Ebola that happened in Liberia again, highlights what's actually important and why we need to focus and why we need to continue to sort of hammer on these things. Just to, I guess, tag off of what we've just discussed now, I think this is something you've pursued since university, or I would assume since you were independent enough to be able to go out and start to make change, forming, you know, social enterprises for equality and social justice across business schools, and you've consistently been consistent at what you do. You mentioned the noise you make, and I'm assuming this is your profile on social media, which, as you put it, a way of translating some of these heavier topics into bite-sized chunks that a generation will be able to digest, but also be educated about and have awareness about, I guess, the wider work. That being said, you do love fashion. I do. So, and particularly, I think you've always championed local African fashion, and I say African being pan African, and enjoyed that. And I think the duality in your personality and in your communication and approach, right? There's that version of you, but there's also the version of you that writes on policy and politics for The Guardian Nigeria. I think the duality is what makes this refreshing, even just you sharing your passion for running. It's humanizing, right? I think a lot of the time for someone who picks up an article by you in Guardian Nigeria, and I guess this is where the power of social media has come into play, where you're able to humanize people now and you're able to understand that the person is just like you Mm -hmm. and they have other interests. They love to shaku shaku or whatever it might be. Zaku. (laughs) (laughs) Zanku. And, you know, they have other facets of their personality and they have loved ones and they have friends and they have a social life. I think for a long time in our community, we're taught this 
sort of one track mindset. You have to wake up, you know, the early bird gets the worm type mentality. There's only one path to success. There's only one path to career fulfillment. There's only one path to you achieving. And I think our education system drills that into us early on. And so anyone who then starts to think outside of the box or even then starts to push the needle faces social criticism, which you've of course. touched on, right? Like of course. on different levels, like how dare you think that you can come here and take a seat at the table? Absolutely. You are not from I didn't go to HBS. I didn't, yeah, I'm not, you know, like what makes me the strategist or X, Y, Z? I get, I get that. I, you know, I get that. But I think more so now than ever, I think historically now that there are more stories being told, actually less so are the people from these flagship establishments are the ones who end up changing the world. Right. So I think someone like you being on the show, hopefully will give people an idea that, you know, if you didn't go to Harvard Business School and you Mm -hmm. went to Northwestern, you Mm -hmm. still have the ability to make an impact. And if you like to Zanku and you love storytelling and I think you enjoy social media, the platform and you enjoy the variety of conversations. You and I have conversed on social media even before we got connected as people. And I think you're always available for interaction, which I think is beautiful. But notwithstanding that, your passion for travel within the continent, I think is also, I would say, forward thinking in terms of how you use social media as a platform. I think as Africans, we always discount our continent when it comes to travel. Less so probably in the last five years where tourism boards are investing a lot, I would say South Africa at the forefront. But how many African countries have you done now? (laughs) <laughs> do you keep count? I do, loosely. There's there's some app okay. that... I, I, I haven't been to a lot of them, to be honest. I've tried to sort of... To do two new countries every year. Yeah, I, I fail at it miserably most years, especially being back here. There's, there's always the... When you have time, you don't have money. When you have money, you don't have time. And so... Yeah. There's, <laughs> <laughs> so it's always that in the way. You know, to touch briefly on why sort of African travel, you know, is important to me and has always been. I'm someone, and I don't give myself particular credit for this, right? There there are a couple of things that have led to sort of my love for the continent and my commitment to sort of advocating for the continent, even mm-hmm. when, you know, a lot of people on a continent, and I know it's, it's hard to live in Africa, you know, wherever it is. It's a grind. Everything is a struggle. Everything is an uphill battle. Just to have yeah. this conversation that we're having, you have to worry about data, about, you know, electricity, about... So there's they're, they're genuine struggles, and I understand that. But for me, I had a conversation, one in 2000, and I want to say six or seven. I'm going to tell you about a couple of pivotal conversations that led to sort of my approach towards Africa. One, there was a girl I was chatting to, and she wasn't African, but she was doing, she had done a lot of work on the continent. She had lived on like refugee camps and whatnot and done some development work. And she said to me, you know, I had only been in America maybe three years at this point. So I was very, 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 very Nigerian at this point. She said to me, I'm more African than you. I brushed it off initially, but I thought deeper. I was like, what will make somebody fix their mouth to tell me that? Fix their mouth. <laughs> and I realized what it was. Yeah. I was so enamored by the idea of abroad. Yeah. <laughs> of, of yeah. America. 
I'm yeah. so traumatized by experience in Africa. I wanted to escape it so badly. I wanted to blend into this new America. I wanted to go out with international students from the Middle East. I wanted to, you know, embrace this new culture, this new life, this abroad life. And that's what they were looking at and saying to me, well, I'm on your continent doing the work that you should be doing. I'm feeding your family. I'm making sure your cousins don't die. And you're over here enjoying. So yeah, I, I, of course, I, I can say that to you. And that moment, that's what made me go into development. So I tell you this because development for me was not about let me help people. On there. It's let nobody ever fix their mouth to tell me that ever again. Look at that. That's the development piece. And that goes for every African outside of the continent. They are going to tell you that, right? Because some white billionaire or some young white kid from Stanford is feeding your family, not because they particularly care about them, not because there's no work to do here in abroad, as we call it, but because they want to put that on their resume and because that looks nice. And they're going to tell you all about it. And they're going to be testifying in Congress, telling Congress what your people are doing. And they're the expert on where you come, on your hometown, whether you like it or not. So you can spend your time on social media telling them, you know, the difference. Africa is not a continent and all this other shit that we do. But they're the ones who are the experts on your continent. So that's the first piece. Second piece, I used to be online talking, you know, all this smack about Oh, Africa. Africa bashing as Africa bashing. I used to be on social media making fun. A lot of the time, it's light humor. It's, you know, just talking shit about where you're from. That's what we do. Americans do it all the time about America. You know, everybody does it about where they're from. And I had a friend who, she's black, but she's not African. She's from the Caribbean. She just gained an interest in moving to the continent. And she would see me doing this stuff. And she was like, why are you talking shit about your country? You don't see people talking enough shit about it? What is the importance of your voice adding to that shit? And I said to myself, this is not a, she's black, so she's African in a way. But at that moment, I decided, you know what? There's enough shit happening here, but the America as a brand will not tell you what's happening here, the bad things that are happening here in America. And so for me, I understood that moment, the power of there's enough people talking about the shit and I don't necessarily have to deny the shit, but I can give perspective. That was that aspect. And you can contribute to making a difference, right? I can, right? Instead of adding my voice to this conversation of, you know, Africa bashing, why not be there doing the work and, you know, having these critical conversations with people. And, you know, so for me, that's where a lot of my writing, which is contextualizing, when you're in shit, you always think, I'm the first person to be in shit and I'm the only person who has ever been in shit. But when you get the context of other people and their own shit, I think it helps you realize, oh, if they have shit and they're not talking about their shit and they want to focus on my own shit, you know, there's a water crisis. Something's wrong with them. Exactly. (laughs) If you care so much about the poor and the sick and the needy, America has a lot of poor people, a lot of needy people, as we're seeing now, right? The people that are in lines for food. There are more homeless people here than in most countries. And so, you know, they don't lead with that. So, you know, that's not my business. And lastly, African fashion. One of my friends had started a t-shirt line a little while ago. And I said to myself, I think I I was having a conversation with someone and they were like, you know, I got to buy, you know, all these designers and all these things. And we've all been, I mean, I'm part of the culture of between, you know, television influence and all these different things that heavily influenced me. Hip hop has heavily influenced me. And so my initial instinct is to 
get the things I see on TV. I want to wear Gucci. I want to wear Todd. Yeah. I want to wear yeah. you know fancy suits, Armani, all these different mm. things. But one of my friends was like, a T-shirt is a T-shirt. And so for me, I decided at that moment, to the extent that I can, I'm going to channel my income into buying and purchasing Africa-related merchandise. To the extent I can, I'm going to try to work with them to amplify their own, as I say, make noise about their, you know, these products, right? So when you see me, you know, influencing, as they would call it, for me, that's a, it's me saying, we can do this stuff as well. And I'm going to be, there's enough people that are buying Gucci and, you know, they're not going to go broke. What is me wearing Gucci add to the conversation? Absolutely. And so for me, long before it became, you know, nice and cool and Wakanda and all these things, I'd made that commitment that, you know what, we are going to slowly but subtly program people's minds to become aware of these things. So what what was costume back then, right? I would wear my kaftan mm. or my hat and they'd be like, oh, that's a nice costume, blah, blah, blah. Costume. is like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. That's exactly what they're going to get. That has costume. now become, yo, how can I cop that shit? When are you, get, when are you going back to Nigeria? Where you get that from, man? That shit is nice. X, Y, Z right? Amplified yeah. by social media. Same thing with travel. I can spend my time going to abroad, as we call it, and going and, you know, I went to Mykonos. Oh, I stayed yeah. at this fancy hotel. Oh, look at my life. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I'm, I'm in America. I'm in Miami Beach. I'm this, I'm that. I could do that, right? And I have done that a lot, right? But what is that adding to the conversation every major event you have been present so and that's globally if i can channel and tell these true authentic stories and actually go to these places it ain't always going to be nice and i tell a lot of those the difficulty of traveling through the continent sometimes it's you you're genuinely like yo am i gonna make this shit i don't know if i'm gonna make it until i'm telling the story later like yo it's on i'm on a cliffhanger but i realize a lot of the fear and all these things are implicit biases that we've been programmed to have, right? You'd rather jump out of a, a plane than go visit Butemeta, which has the likelihood of killing you. You'd rather sniff cocaine than go to, you know, Tanzania because, you know, I don't know, you know, I've heard, I heard a lot of shit about that place. You know what I'm saying? So for me, what am I adding to every conversation? And that for me is the importance of my life here is like, look, I'm small, I'm insignificant, but by I will make so much noise in my time what's, here. What's that African proverb? If you think a mosquito is, is insignificant <laughs> or something. <laughs> Sorry, that just came to my mind. There's the African proverb about the mosquito, right? Back. And a mosquito might be insignificant and small, but when that stuff bites you. Big impact. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. That's your patriotism for everything on continent and for you, is this something in your upbringing that, and I guess as most of us have, right, you're programmed to, I guess, aspire to a certain version of success or life fulfillment. And then somewhere in there, you dare to dream. And you dare to pursue something that is outside of the mold. Mm -hmm. 
And then through that, you find wider purpose. In your case, whether that's through Face Africa or through any of the social enterprising things that you've done, or whether that's building Abuja's first full tech innovations hub, you find wider purpose. And then it almost starts to evolve into your lifestyle. You know what? I think when everyone always talks about your purpose and your purpose, and in a time like now where I think there's a lot of people feeling that pressure to do that. I think it's refreshing to hear that for you, it's a conversation that jolted your path into going, hey, almost a defiant, hey, but you know, what the, I'm a patriot of my own continent. What are Mm -hmm. you talking about? Maybe unconsciously Mm -hmm. you've ended up here, which for most guests, actually, I'm finding that the responsibility of ending up here and having the sort of conversations that I have on the show bring up a very modest perspective because I think for a lot of guests when you're in it you and as you said when you're in the shit like you don't really have the perspective to look back but looking back on the work that you've done in the last Mm -hmm. year or so and in the last decade where you've now consciously said my story is about patriotism to Mm. my land essentially right and however insignificant i might be i will make a difference in a life and in your case through several mediums make differences whether that's influencing someone to buy an african brand or bringing awareness to the fact that hey there are competitors out there or to a nice little boutique hotel in the middle of Liberia or your work through charities or even just partnering with bigger firms, right? By bringing your worldview and the strategic view on, hey, here's how we can take this African narrative even further, whether that's through sport or... Mm -hmm creative arts or Mm -hmm. cultural discussions that evolution for you now especially in this climate does it make it seem a lot more relevant so you you touch on something very actually on a couple of things that are very very important and that with every conversation i want to be able to sort of highlight one is what in your history right what in your upbringing brought you here in essence. And I'm a child of, of people, of, of explorers, right? Of people, uh, you know, my dad's a very jovial, he was just like me in his day, right? He was a, a lot more handsome than I am, but he was a very entrepreneurial, very out there, very social, very strategic, you know, as an explorer, you know, he was also a very, he was political, very, very heavily. And so that's where my, you know, my politics comes from. They were very progressive, I will say, right? In their thinking. And I challenged them a lot. I was the child who was always asking questions, like the annoying. I watch TV shows now and I look at boys and they're just like really annoying and I want to strangle them. And I think, Mm. man, that was me. So annoying, but so inquisitive. And my, you know, my parents knew that and they nurtured that, right? And so now they ask me, I don't know where you got this from. And I'm like, oh, I think being like this you know i've been like this for for quite some time so they always nurtured sort of my desire to know but they've always also instilled in us the importance of sort of dignity of not 
thinking of money or wealth as you know the most important thing, but on on the understanding that education and your integrity is the great equalizer at the end of the day. People yeah. are going to get rich and they're going to get poor. I've been very very lucky to have people who were extremely rich and I was very very like self conscious back then. You know, like oh my parents wouldn't allow me to take their car and sometimes I would steal the car and go out just so hey. I can be on the same. Yeah. But understanding and they would want things from overseas and my parents wouldn't yeah. necessarily, you know, but they've always told me, look, people are going to get rich today. They're going to get poor tomorrow. And you see that people, one person's dad is, they're driving the new Mercedes today. Ten years later, they're still driving that same Mercedes, except now there are 10 more Mercedes that have come before that. And that thing that used to be the most important thing in the world is now kind of a symbol of old, you know, past glory. So that was a very important piece of what they instilled in me. But also this idea that people are, you know, the important thing, right? Connecting with people of different stripes. And my family is very, very fast, right? There are a lot of rich people in there. Some rich, I would say a lot, but there are a lot of people who are struggling. And, you know, and, and see my dad kind of take the little that we would have to try to spread it, you know, to everybody. And my mom complaining that she had to, you know, the piece that she brought to the table, she had to use to take care of us because my dad was using was whatever sharing ex- it. was sharing the excess. You know? Was so sharing for, it, yeah. So for me, that was very important. The, the other piece that I was saying was very important to me is the idea of purpose. There's this mm. tremendous pressure to know what mm-hmm. your purpose is. Anybody mm. that has met me will know I don't know what the hell my purpose in life is. I, I'm not going to lie to anybody. I'm not going to pep talk anybody into, you know, finding purpose or whatever. But as you said, you rightfully pointed out, Amina Mohammed, Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations, said once we went to go meet her, she said, you know, there is no path. You do what you think is right. In the moment, you put one foot in front of the other, you meet several forks in a row. It's not just one mm. fork left, you know, good and bad or good decision, bad decision. Every turn, every defining moment, there's a fork. And yeah. for me, I just focus on making the right decision and the best decision in that moment, given the tools that I have and making sure that I'm comfortable with that decision that I've made thinking about the grander where I ultimately would like to end up. That's all I've tried to do. I've been very, very lucky. I am very, very privileged. In, I'm able to make decisions, some of which are consequential, but I, I'm able to kind of recalibrate, right? A lot of people, you make one bad decision and your entire life is over because of that. I've been lucky enough that I get into university in Nigeria I'm not taking it seriously. You know, I, I pretty much flunk out. I got to figure out a way to get to America, which was always a thing that I wanted. And luckily, a decision that doesn't necessarily rest in my hands. I'm fortunate enough to have it. And so I'm fortunate enough to have parents who can kind of give me that push or parents that don't necessarily give up on me when everybody kind of is like, man, this guy is just one of those Potential, He's po- po- one of those potential, <laughs> potential, potential that never quite ends up. And so for me, understanding that I didn't have a purpose. 
purpose. I still don't know what my purpose is, right? I'm just taking it one step at a time. People that know me, I started out Denda, you know, with all these fanfare and I'm going to go out, I'm going to, you know, build this into becoming the next ideal and the biggest marketing firm, you know, um, digital strategy company in the world. You know, a lot of things happen. It doesn't quite work out that way. It, it end up in West Bumblefuck, uh, California, trying to pick up, you know, the pieces of my life. I end up fortunate enough to come back to come work for my old boss, who now owns a company and is like, "Hey, I need you on board. Come help me build this thing." I come here. I have. I now have a buffer to be able to, you know, that pays my bills. That gives me some flexibility to be able to pursue sort of, you know, my creative endeavors on the side. Not not a lot of people. That's not something I can pep talk into people, right? That's a very very specific path that I'm privileged and lucky enough to have. But it's also real life, right? Like it's 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 a real life circumstance. I think I can speak from my place of privilege being that I've been able to be a career entrepreneur for the last 10 years of my life because I've had a buffer. And however that buffer comes, whether that's within a job that still gives you the scope and the range to still pursue things in the way that you're still comfortable with or not, like most guests, I think everyone's just figuring it out. And in that journey, what's beautiful is that we're able to still make a difference and we're able to be shifting our collective African cultures Mm -hmm. and the continent in a positive way that makes for this time in our lives to be beautiful. Now, who knows what happens in the next 10 years or in the next 50 years, but I think being able to have these sorts of conversations and document them for anyone out there who doesn't know how they transcend or even identifies with a portion of your story, whether that means, you know what, you know, I'm older and I did make it through or, you know, whatever else. But I think we're now at an interesting time in our lives as Africans and the work that each of the guests do and you're doing, however unplanned Um, it might be still being the sum of your experiences and no experience being wasted. I think it's on the path to becoming, becoming, right? (laughs) The path to becoming is is at the whole noun and verb. But but why, why, why must it be about the destination? I always find it quite interesting that perhaps the magic is in the journey. Perhaps the magic is in the experiences in the now. And the end of the journey, we all know we all die, right? Mm -hmm. So, and whatever you do in during is what lives on. And perhaps the perspective needs to be more about the during and and less about the end. To that effect, yeah, there's an interesting way that I look at that, right? Is And you're absolutely right. It's about the journey, but I think people like results. They want something, small wins they want to celebrate. Because what good is if I'm, I'm in a car, my destination, I'm driving from you know Lagos to Ife. What good, the journey itself is nice, but it's necessary because I want to get to Ife. There's no win in the journey itself. But for me, I think of it as this. So people start the year out and there's a concept of New Year's resolutions. The resolutions are the destinations that we would like to get to by the end of the year. What gets lost in that mix is a lot of the time you don't get to that destination, right? My resolution this year was to double our income 
from last year, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, that's not going to happen this year. Who <laughs> right. knows? We're only in Q2. Uh, Let's be optimistic. Optimistic our, our way into losing three months now. We're, <laughs> we're going to be back outside by April, April 15th. Yeah, right. So for me, I always think of resolutions as sort of this false marker. Maybe for a lot of people, it gives them a target to get to, and they're going to get to that by all means. But for me, I find at the end of the year, you've done so much other shit that were never in your resolution. But because they were not on your resolution, they didn't count as a destination. And so mm. you blew past them and you didn't even recognize that you, if those were your resolutions or those were part of your resolution, you would feel a lot more successful. So the journey itself is not just a journey. It's a mix of little wins that are getting you to that big win. And so for me, that's what my life is about, right? It's I'm celebrating all the wins, the small wins as we go. You know what I mean? So that at the end of the year, I, I have at the back of my mind some things that I would like to get to, my resolutions, but I'm not going to trade the things that I actually do get done in that process because I'm, I'm just tunnel visioned into my resolutions as my goals. And so for me, I, I always say, I don't stop to smell the roses. I, I smell the roses as I go. You know, everywhere I go, it's I find the roses in wherever I am. You know, I smell it. I take it all in, bask in it, and then I keep moving. And so that's the way that I, I want to think about purpose. You need to celebrate that shit, right? I celebrate the most mundane. I got paid 37 cents in royalties from my article that I wrote two years ago. I'm celebrating yes. that shit. Yes. Who else, who else, man? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So, shout out to Medium for paying that royalty checks, man. So, you know what I'm saying? But, but that's what it's all about. And that fuels me to think, you know what? If I write an even doper article today, I'm going to be getting royalties for 10 years because people are going to be coming back to revisit that article and say, yo, this shit was brilliant. This shit was ahead of its time. This shit, you hey, know what I'm saying? Residual income. That's the way I think about goal, purpose, all those things is there are things that are happening along the way. Mm. Do not just sweep those things on the rug. Those things are in themselves achievements and goal. And so you got to celebrate those. Thank you so much for the insight. Where can people find, I feel like I've talked about your social media chronicles, but where can they find you on social media? On social media, I'm heavy on, on Instagram now at the T-H-E Danjuma, D-A-N-J-U-M-A, at the Danjuma. I kind of link a lot of the things that I, I do down there. You can find my writing on medium.com slash at Danjuma. You know, so there's a lot of writing there. As I say, if you just follow me on Instagram, I make a lot of my noise there. I think visually. And so, you know, a visual platform like that gives me, you know, a lot of tools to be able to communicate uh, effectively with people. And I kind of link into some of the other things that I do. I'm on Twitter as well, at Danjuma, But, uh, you know, I find Twitter is, is a need for, for quick wit. And I find that that's contrived a lot of the time. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm there, but not necessarily, you know, heavy on there. I, I, I'm there once in a while. I'm mostly a passerby. I lick a look, I engage, I consume a lot of content there. Dita and Jumas, I post a lot of my writing on there, a lot of my 
tidbits, my, my stories of my, my chronicles, my journey through the African continent will live on there in, in, you know, in some form or fashion. And for Denda Group? TheDendaGroup.com is uh, where that lives or at Dendagram. If you have some amazing strategy work, there's going to be a lot of that. Hire us, man. You want to communicate with a new audience. You want to pivot. There's uh, so much work that's going to go into kind of convincing people to get back out there uh, once this is out and done. So we're, we're excited about that work. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining us in this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. It's been a pleasure having you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This is very, very important work that you're doing. I tell you, uh, I don't say that lightly. This is way ahead of its time and uh, people are going to be talking about this for, for some time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Third Culture Africans, the Lifestyle Podcast. We would love to hear from you. So please find us on Facebook or Instagram at Third Culture Africans and leave us a comment. A review goes a long way in getting our show notice. So please leave us one if you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time.